You're listening to the Ignite Sessions podcast, hosted by Virginia Tech Chi Alpha. Our hope for this podcast is to encourage listeners to pursue God's kingdom and His righteousness. We hope you're blessed by today's episode. And um, many of you may not have gotten to hear, I, I, David spoke last night, uh, just a powerful word, um, and I believe it's marked many of our lives. But David is a dear friend of mine, and um, I just love the, this, the, the anointing and the mantle that he carries for, for prayer, and, uh, and really just as we've walked together, I've just seen him just, again, continue to facilitate and, and um, imparting, that's the word I was looking for, just the impartation that comes forth from his life uh, in, in the place of prayer, but just the prophetic and, and also, right, as we've been talking over and over again over these years, we were talking that we've now known each other for 15 years, it's just crazy, um, how much this man has, has been burning just for just not, not just our nation, but to see the church grab hold of discipleship. And, and I'll never forget one time we were walking and, and David just sharing his heart for what he sees happening on the college campuses, right? And wanting to see that happen within the local church. And that just gets me excited for what we're doing. He believes deeply in, in the move of God on college campuses. And, and I, do, I believe, right, like that you guys are the ones that take it in, right, to that, to that next season of your life, into the local church, just fueling it with prayer and discipleship and evangelism. And, man, when we start getting it like that, like he said, this is just, I remember just so plainly, you're like, that's, we're going to see revival when we understand how to facilitate it like that. And so, uh, just he's just a dear brother of mine. He just has spoken into my life so many times, and I'm just excited for him to have an opportunity to speak into your life. So, can we give it up for David as he comes tonight? Thank you, man. What a joy to be here with you guys. Um, wow, 72 hours of prayer and worship on Virginia Tech. Come on, can we just? rejoice in that? Can we just celebrate? It's a sign and a wonder. It's God is doing it. Um, well, I, I have a word on my heart tonight, and um, it has to do with worship and what we're doing here. Um, one of the burdens that I have is you come into these environments, maybe you're new to this kind of environment, maybe, uh, maybe you didn't come from a church background, maybe you're like, what are these people doing, singing for an hour and a half? Maybe, maybe that's new for you, or maybe you've been in it for years, and maybe you're used to it. And sometimes we get so used to things, we can actually lose track or disconnect almost from the why behind the what, and to understand why are we singing for long hours? You know what I'm saying? Think, think about it for a minute. What other entity, organization, or movement, or entity, or whatever, almost every time they get together, they sing. I mean, can you imagine if the United States Congress did that. 
Can you imagine if every time you, they showed up for a session of Congress, it was like, okay, everybody get your guitars, throw the words on the screen, and they all sing for an hour. And then they vote on the legislation. Could you imagine showing up for class, and your professor is like, we're starting a new tradition. We're going to use about 50% of every class to sing, and we'll use the other 50% to lecture. It's kind of how church services work, right? It's about close, right? We do it in church, and we're never, we don't even think about it. We're like, oh, that's what we do in church. Why? I'll, I'll tell you what it's not is just to get ourselves amped up, psych ourselves up, or just to prepare for the message. It's not just the warm-up for the preaching. So maybe you've never thought a lot about why we do this, number one, and where it's going. Number, that's what I want to talk about for a minute. Because I feel like tonight God wants to unlock a song and a sound of the Lord on this campus that's more than noise. It's not just noise. It's part of God's government, his authority coming to the earth. And I just want to, with a few Bible verses and a couple stories, like open up our hearts to what the Lord is doing so that we can, so that we can move past just the maybe it feels good when we worship kind of mindset, right? Like it does actually. It feels good to sing to the Lord because we were born to do it and it, that's not a bad thing. But if, if our understanding of worship it lives in, I really like that song, right? I really like how it feels when everybody's singing. That's good, but, that, but we got to go a little deeper so that we can do this for decades, do it with faith, do it with energy, do it like as a lifestyle because we understand why it's happening, what's going on when it's happening, and where it's going. And if you can get that, then your worship and prayer, because worship and prayer are two sides of one coin, really. When we talk about worship and prayer, we're really talking about two slightly different expressions of the same basic thing, which is an interaction with God, with words and songs, and with our hearts, right? And so I, I want to look at a couple passages tonight that give us some understanding. My heart was unlocked with this. I remember years ago, um, I mean years and years ago when I was really young, I always loved music. Um, any, any music lovers in here? Hopefully that's almost everybody. You don't have to be a musician, but I don't know many people like, I hate music. My least favorite thing, I hate music. It's like, that's the person you take into the, the counseling session, right? Like, or maybe deliverance. I don't know. Like, who hates music, you know? Because God's a musician. Music goes right into your emotions and pulls out that, that sense of being an image bearer in the image of God, you know? Like, anyway, but I remember as a kid, I wanted to be a musician, but... I remember thinking the thought, the last thing I want to be is a worship leader. Not that I, I was a kid, I was probably 13 years old, whatever, but 
the reason I thought that as a teenager was because I thought you couldn't be creative. And I just wanted to be creative. Little did I know I was dead wrong on that point, on a lot of levels. But something began to shift in my heart when I realized God runs his government. You guys know God has a government, right, that Jesus is a king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And that's not just hyperbole. That's real. There's authority. But Revelation 4, John sees a vision. He looks up and he goes, there's a throne standing in heaven. You know what that means? Here he is, John, the Apostle John, in jail for preaching the gospel on the island of Patmos in prison, right? And it looks to everyone around him like Rome, the Roman government, has ultimate authority. And John looks up and he goes, whoa, there's a throne standing in heaven that's above Caesar's throne. Now I want to declare to you that there's a throne still standing in heaven. It's above the EU, it's above the Supreme Court, it's above the White House, it's above every earthly government, and there's one seated on the throne, John says. So, the ultimate reality of all of creation is not a democracy. I love democracy because of fallen humans, right? We, we desperate, I believe we desperately need democracy because of fallen humans. But the the ultimate government is an absolute monarchy. And yet God, because Jesus is king of all kings, and yet he shares his authority with all of us. He goes, I'm not doing it alone. And he calls us into that process of his government. But, but here's the point. The way he runs his government is so different than earthly governments in, in a number of things. And one of the things that he has in his government. One of the things he has in his government is worship. You think, wow, I enjoy the music. I like how it feels. I like, you know, it feels good to me when they're singing. And I can feel God's presence when you worship, right? You guys ever, some of you experienced that before? You start to sing to the Lord in sincerity and in truth. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I feel God a little bit more. Yes, exactly. That's a good thing. But worship and prayer, two sides of one coin, are in the structure of how God brings his power and his authority onto the earth. In other words, there's a lot more going on in a moment like tonight than we have any idea. We look at a room full of college students singing and praying, and heaven looks down and goes, angels and demons are moving because of the sound of your voice before the Lord. There's so much more going on than we have any idea. And I know that Kai Alfie here has 6 o'clock in the morning prayer meetings. First of all, I think that's amazing. Because, Anthony, you've been doing 6 o'clock prayer meetings, I feel like, since I first met you. Been, been a long time. And what, what is it that would possess a college student to get up at before 6 a.m. and show up and pray and sing? You have to know something bigger is going on. 
You have to know the why behind the what if you're going to do it for 10 years. But I want to tell you, something is coming to the earth that eye is not seen and ear is not heard. There is a sound of love, of adoration, of joy, of intercession. There is a sound of faith that's coming to the earth, every tribe and tongue. That's more than sound. Not just sound. And it's not just hype. It's one of those key components of God's government coming. His kingdom coming. His power getting unleashed. And if we can see it, but it's not enough just to feel it and know it's amazing. Like, you got to get into the, the actual drama of it and start to realize there's something bigger going on, whether you're a musician or not. I want to be clear right now. This is not a talk just for musicians. It is for musicians, but it's much more than that. This is for everyone. We got to get like an apologetic for the worship and prayer movement. So we can, we got to get understanding of where this is going. Um, I'm going to show you a couple scriptures here, but first let me talk, talk to you about something I learned in college. We're on university, right? I was a music major at the University of Mary Washington. And um, I'm studying music history, and we had four semesters of music history. And we're in the first semester of music history, and we're going through ancient music. And we get to this whole section on Jewish music from 3,000 years ago. I'm not making this up. And we're studying this thing called the Tabernacle of David in my secular music history class. Because at that time, if you don't know what the Tabernacle of David was, 3,000 years ago, David, King David, in Israel, God called him a man after my own heart, saw the shepherd boy out in the field. He was a shepherd boy that played a harp and loved God and had an intimate relationship with Jesus. God sees this kid in the field. He, God says, I sought for a man after my own heart. And he looked all over Israel and he sees this 17-year-old kid sitting in a field, watching over his dad's sheep, pouring out his soul in worship. And he goes, there he is. I found him. That's it right there. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm going to replicate. That's what I'm going to model. That's what I'm going to raise up and exalt and honor and promote. And he pulls him up. And long and short of it is, about 13 years later or so, after he's anointed by the prophet, he actually becomes king of Israel. Long story there. Most of you know parts of it, at least. Kills a giant or two, you know, well, just one. And, and he, he becomes king of Israel, and the first thing he does as king of Israel is he sets up a tent in Jerusalem, the capital city. Here's the crazy thing. God was so excited about, or so committed to David. When you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, in the very beginning of creation, it says the Garden of Eden was in the east. And you go, wait a minute, the east of what? East. <laughs> the Lord is calling us. Kidding. He says in the east of what? It was, in, it was east of Jerusalem. Do you know who picked the city of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel? 
The Lord did. But who did he use? But David did. King David picked the city that Jesus is going to reign in. And he, and he, first thing he does as king is he sets up this tent. And I know I'm not just about tents, but it is amazing that it was a tent. He sets up this tent, puts the ark, and the ark was that golden box that God had Moses make that represented God's manifest presence with Israel. It was, and he put it right in the middle of the tent. And what does he do? He pays 4,000 musicians and 288 singers. I want you to catch this. King David, in the genius of God, in the genius of heaven, whoa, my watch just flew off, pays 4,000 musicians and 288 singers, and they sing and worship God 24 hours a day, seven days a week for some 30-plus years. Where does he come up with this stuff? So I'm a music major, and I'm studying, and I stumble across in my secular music class the story about Jewish music from 3,000 years ago, how it dominated. They invented instruments. They, done, they did things that had never been done before. They took music across the whole world into a place that had never experienced. And what happened is every king in Israel's history that replicated what David did was successful in their military uh, and geopolitical endeavors. And the ones that backslid and pulled worship out of the center of their life, of the culture of Israel, were in compromise and usually failed. Isn't that amazing? In other words, David built with the presence of God at the center of his government. And I think he was modeling heaven, and I think he was modeling God's culture of leadership. So I, I study that in my, um, my secular music class. And I realized God is the corner of the market on creativity. There's, right now we're sitting in a time where more worship songs are being written than probably, definitely ever in history. Isn't that true? It's like all over the world. I remember this guy, this pastor, he's leading this network of churches. He reached out to me. He knew we were doing like a lot of worship and prayer stuff with young people. And he goes, hey, can you tell me what the primary top five worship songs of the next generation are? I'm like scratching my head and I realize I don't think I can. And the reason is, it's because there's too many. They're everywhere. There's like a songwriter in almost every church now. And I want to tell you something right now. It's not a fad. It's not a trend. It's not going to go away. We've only seen the beginning of what's about to hit the earth in, in terms of creativity that's more than just sound. It's a response. It's a response to the beautiful one. My friend had a dream recently. He called me and he said, hey, I had this dream. And he said, I was standing in a field next to you. And there were these musicians. And he said, the halal of God hit the next generation. The halal, that's a Hebrew word. It's where we get the word hallelujah. 
Halal means praise. There's actually seven Hebrew words for praise that are translated praise in English. And each one is a different expression. But halal is the most common one. We say it all the time and don't even realize it. Hallelujah. You ever heard that word? That's the Hebrew. Praise the Lord. It's the Hebrew word is halal. And if you look up the word halal in the Strong's Concordance and you get the definition of halal, do you know what it means? It means to boast or rave or be clamorously foolish to God. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. He goes, in other words, it's a response. You know this festival culture that's, that fills young generations? Why do they go to those? I think the reason they go, I mean, have you ever been to one of these concerts before where it's like, Stunning. What are people looking for? They're looking for an experience. They respond to the creativity. They want community. They want to do it with others. And they usually want a cause. Sounds kind of similar to the gospel, doesn't it? I want to tell you guys, there's coming, this is my own phrase, a global festival of God's glory across the whole earth. And there's going to be creativity and songwriting and dancing and poetry and painting and entrepreneurship that flows out of this thing that's going to look like heaven. Because I want to tell you right now, any faint imagination in your heart that paints God or paints heaven as boring is false. The least boring place you could ever be is the closer you get to God. Ask the seraphim, the angels, about boredom. Ask the saints in heaven if it's boring. They'll literally look at you and go, You have no idea, little guy or little girl, what you're talking about. It's like C.S. Lewis said, he goes, our problem is not that we want happiness too much, it's that we want it too little. Because we're satisfied with drink and sex or whatever. (laughs) He said, it's like a child that's offered a holiday at the sea, but instead wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because they have no idea what's available. C.S. Lewis. I think he was tapping into something. And so I want to show you a couple passages in in the scriptures. And then I I feel like I want to get this understanding tonight so that we can move in faith. Um, For the, the songs, the worship and prayer expression that God wants to release on this campus. I'm not just talking about out there in the nations. I'm talking about, yes, that but right here, Blacksburg, Virginia, Virginia Tech, there's a song and a sound, a new song and a new sound that he's placed inside of you in your love for God, in your relationship with Jesus, that when you release that, government comes, authority comes. And I feel like tonight we need to pray for an unlocking, like an, an impartation of something to shift 
It's already happening, but I think there's a shift even tonight. I think that there, because I think as we get some understanding, and again, you may not be a musician. You're like, well, this is like the music message. This is an everyone message. Because you're created in the image of God, the ultimate creator. And we're about to become the most creative people. But I want to get the understanding, and then I, I want to pray that God will, that there'll be an impartation, that, that a whole generation will find their voice. They're all trying, we're all trying to find our voice, and most of the time it's to others. We're trying to get heard. But, you know, if I told you that you could have unlimited access right now to the President of the United States at any time and tell him anything you would like to tell him, and that he would listen and consider it, you would, uh, that'd be, you'd, you'd think you have a pretty, pretty big responsibility, wouldn't you? Like, for real? I can walk in the Oval Office and talk to him at any point? Let me tell you, you have direct access to the throne that's above every other throne in the gospel. That's not just theological abstraction. That's reality right now. And we can enter into this, but I, I want to get a grid for it. So, um... If you have a Bible, you guys have Bibles or phones or whatever, open it up to Isaiah chapter 42. I want to show you a, I want to show you a prophecy from 20, about 2,700 years ago. It's after David, it's thousands of years ago. So Isaiah is prophesying, and he, he's talking about how God's going to bring justice to the earth. If you look at the very beginning, he says, Behold my servant, which is Jesus, in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit on him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So Jesus is justice. He's going to bring make wrong things right. Jesus isn't just going to forgive our sin. He's ultimately going to make all wrong things right in the earth. That's the good news of the gospel is not just you get forgiven, it's ultimately that Jesus is actually going to destroy every work of the evil one and make all things right. That's the gospel of the kingdom. So God goes, hey, let me introduce an idea to you. Isaiah says, Jesus, there's a man that God's going to put his spirit on, and he's going to bring justice to the whole earth. That's Jesus. But then in the passage, he starts to unfold this narrative, and I, I want to I show you one facet of this that I believe is actually part of the justice movement. Wrong things being made right. In verse 10, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 10. Again, this is like 2,700 years ago. This is long before even Jesus was born. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. Now, this passage, again, Thousands of years ago, Isaiah is saying, I believe he's looking into the future, and he's going, he's seeing 
something that's going to take place all over the world. He goes, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. In other words, it's not even just Israel. It's all the way into all the Gentile nations. Then he goes, the top of mountains, they're going to lift their voices. They're going to shout. The cities, the coastlands, the deserts. He's describing a global song that's literally going to cover the earth. Now, maybe that's news to you. Maybe you grew up in church and you're like, you sung songs, you know, that we've sung. Like, shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing, or whatever. And you think that's really nice poetry. That's really a, that's a nice image that, you know, maybe... But maybe you didn't realize that in the blueprint of Jesus, he goes, hey, right in the middle of my strategy to bring about the gospel going to the nations, and then ultimately Jesus' return, right in the middle of that strategy, did you know that one component in the middle of that strategy is he's going to pull out of the nations a love song? And that when they begin to lift their voices, more is going to happen. More is going to happen than just sound. But there's going to be an interaction with God. As the nations, cities, coastlands, regions, mountaintops, deserts, they lift their voices. As they're lifting their voices, there's an interaction with God where it's more than music. It's actually God's government begins to crash into the nations. And then... It says that the Lord goes out like a mighty man. Do you see that? Then the Lord shouts aloud. He cries out. He goes, I've held my peace for a long time. Now I will gasp and pant. This is an intense passage because when you get to the end of it, you get into these globe, you get into like shakings across the earth. But but I just want to get our eyes on this thought. I want this, like, to hit your heart. This is what I call the global festival of God's glory that's about to come to the earth. Imagine with me, all across the Middle East. In fact, some of these places are Middle East places. The villages that Kedar inhabits. Places in the, think about all across the Middle East, all across Africa, all across Europe. University campuses all over America. In the middle of Jesus' plan, talking about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, dreamed up a strategy that they were going to call people out of every tribe and every culture, and they were going to call them into an intimacy with, with God that was going to produce a song and a worship prayer movement that covers the whole earth, and it's not just noise, it's actually causing, it's catalyzing God's power and his government and his transformation to come. I want us to get a vision, what's happening these 72 hours is not just a bunch of noise in a little room tucked away. This is part of God's government coming. There's more going on than we even understand. But it strikes me that 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah looks into the future and he goes, the world's going to sing. The nations are going to lift their voice. 
even at the top of mountains and in deserts. There's going to be a song. And I just want to ask the question, who would run their government this way? Like, again, we come into church, we sing, we don't even think twice. Why are we doing that? What is going on? Where is it going? Why is it happening? Have you ever stopped to ask the question? Most of us don't because we're so used to it. But there's a reason. There's a why behind the what. And it has to do with not just the sound, but it has to do with God himself. Yesterday we said prayer's not about prayer. You could say the same thing about worship. Worship's not about worship. In fact, when worship becomes about worship or prayer becomes about prayer, you probably will lose heart. Because then it's all about ourselves and our performance. When prayer becomes about prayer, you just, you lose heart. But when prayer is about the person on the other side of the conversation, and when worship is the response, the interaction, the hunger, the joy. I remember I was leading worship. I used to lead worship when I was young, and this pastor of this church I was in sat me down. I just led worship for the first time ever, horribly. My mom, you know moms that got it, she filmed it. And as blackmail, occasionally she would pull it out. Like, remember that time when you were 16? Look at this. Yep, thanks, Mom. So the pastor sits me down and he goes, young man, why do you want to lead worship? I'm like, oh, well. I'm thinking of all these, like, really spiritual-sounding answers, like, well, I just want God to receive the glory, which is true. I mean, but, but I just got gut-wrenchingly honest. And I went, you know what? To be honest with you, I love God's presence. I just want more. I said, to be honest with you, that's, that's the answer. And he goes, that's exactly the right answer. Because you praise the things you enjoy. Because praise becomes the consummation of the enjoyment and the entering into that enjoyment. You know, worship, yes, it's for God's glory, but do you know it's for you as well? God's not up there wanting to be flattered He's not seated in heaven going, somebody tell me how great I am. I'm having a rough day today. Like, somebody sing how great is my God right now because this is just, this is a rough day. I mean, I'm feeling a little insecure. You know, just, can you repeat that chorus 50 times? <laughs> God's not insecure. He's not up there like, come on, people tell me how great I am. He's doing it for you. Because when you praise and sing and create and talk to him, there's a response. There's an interaction. There's an opening of your heart and your spirit. He says he inhabits the praises of his people. He comes in. He rushes in his presence and his power and his glory. And because it's, all about, it's not about worship. It's about him. But there's a creativity and a sound and a song that's about to hit. That eyes not seen and ears not heard. And I want to get a vision for that, you guys. Uh, even in moments like this, I want to get a vision for where this thing is going. You know, Jesus is not going to come back in a vacuum. He's coming back in response to a lovesick people. The spirit and the bride say, come.
He's going to fill the earth with the Spirit and the bride in unity, saying, we can't live without you. We want you. We love you. That's the environment where he returns. And I wonder, you know, have you ever, have you ever driven by a beautiful natural landscape? I don't know, any nature lovers in here? Good, because that's a lot like music. If you don't like it, there's probably something we need to talk about. Like, if you're driving, I remember I was in Austria. I love the Austrian Alps and the Swiss Alps. They're stunning. She said, amen. No, amen. I'm not, amen. It's true. The Swiss Alps are one of the most stunning places on the planet, right? And like, you're driving through and um, what happens in that moment? If you have somebody in the car with you and you see something stunning, you know, when you turn to that person and you go, did you see that? Look at that. That's amazing. You're entering in to the reality of that thing by speaking it to that other person. It's called praise. Like, if you just were quiet, you'd only get minimal amount of entering into that thing. But when you pass by and you start telling the other people and you enter into the experience together, your experience of that thing goes up a couple notches. And the more you do that, the more it goes up. And worship is like that. God goes, I want to set a table for you. I want you to feast. And so sing, and, uh, and you'll enter into it. Not only that, God's power is released. You, do you remember that story in... At all these scriptures I was thinking about. But do you remember the story in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas are in that Philippian jail cell? I love that passage because it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. And then it says, and all the prisoners were listening to them. Well, of course they were. It was midnight, and they're singing their guts out. It's not like the prisoners had a choice, you know? It's like... But what did, what did Paul and Silas do when they're locked up having one of the worst days of their life? They praised. They lifted their voices. You guys know the story. In the praise, an earthquake hits the jail. Shakes the chains off everybody. They're all set free, and then they all get saved, including the jailer. It's a song of deliverance that's coming, you guys to a Gen Z that's bound up with demonic history. Do you guys remember King David when he was young? He wasn't king yet. Saul had demons tormenting him. Do you remember what they had to do? David, bring your harp. And every time David plays the harp, what happens? The demons leave. Guys, there's more going on. Do you remember Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament? All the ites, the Amorites and the, the different ites, the nations, <laughs> are coming against Israel, and they're surrounding them. I can't remember which ites it is. got to look it up. Second Chronicles 20. They're surrounding, and, and Jehoshaphat goes, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then he goes, I got it. I got it. Call the musicians. Send the musicians in front of the army. And then it says, and when the musicians begin to sing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. What happens? The Lord strikes panic into their enemies, and they completely win the battle. Yeah, the, the, the enemies turn on themselves. 
There's more going on. And what God's going to do is multiply and replicate it. What was David thinking when he hired 4,000 people to play music at the center of the nation? What was he thinking? He understood what happens. And he understood that Jesus is worthy and that he's basing his government in worship. He's basing his government in intimacy with himself. He's basing the execution of his will on the earth in the context of our interactions with him in worship and prayer. He's not doing it alone. He's doing it in partnership with you. He's not just going to do it. He's going to do it as we lift our voices. There's like a dignity on this thing that is like beyond, I think, what we have any idea. I, wanna, I just want to encourage you. I just feel like tonight, some of us have been bound up in our hearts. Sometimes you got to sing your way into the truth. There's a song of deliverance in this house. Sometimes you got to, actually the Apostle Paul, now I've always said, probably erroneously, probably he's in the cloud of witnesses. He'll probably talk to me about this in the age to come. But I, there's no way that Paul could sing. It might be the thorn in the flesh for him. I, I don't know. But, like, I don't believe, the reason is because he had too many other gifts. You ever been around those people that just have too many gifts? And you're like, I, I actually have a friend. Like, I've, I have this close friend. He's been a friend for many years. He's extremely attractive, athletic, a genius, a good businessman, and an artist. And I hate him. I'm like, you can't have all that. This is not right. Somewhere in heaven, the Lord gypped all of us and said, I'm just going to raise up Mark to provoke you all. I mean, like, he's an incredible athlete. He can paint. He writes songs, traveled in a band, and he's got, like, and he's a, he's a genius. He's the great, one of the greatest theologians I know, and I'm, I just think it, something's messed up. But anyway, Paul probably could sing I don't know. It doesn't even matter. But Paul wrote to the church, of, to the Colossians and the Ephesians, not to singers, but to everyone. In Ephesians 5, he says, don't be drunk with wine. That's dissipation. That hurts you. Don't do drunkenness. Instead, do something better. Do something better. Drunkenness has temporary pleasure, bad hangover, and you do stupid stuff and hurt people. Don't do that. Do a better pleasure. You did, God didn't call you to repent of pleasure. He called you to pursue better pleasures. And he goes, and here's how you do it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's how you do it. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Paul instructed the church to sing because he knew what would happen when for thousands of years we would lift our voice every time we get together. It would shift our soul. It would shift the atmosphere. It would shift things in the heavens. It's one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare we could ever engage in. It dislodges principalities. It shifts the atmosphere of universities. It'll change your own soul, your, the atmosphere of your heart. I just wish people would sing every single day. Not just noise, but sing to the Lord every single day. I wish a billion believers, if there's that many, across the earth would lift their voices on a daily basis. What would happen? 
Because Paul says, be filled with the Spirit by speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And psalms, that's the Bible. Hymns are the songs we throw on the screens that are written for worship. Do you know what spiritual songs are? It's a spirit song. It actually, it speaks of a, a spontaneous song. There's spontaneous singing in it. And so Paul put that right in the government, right in the strategy of the church. So, man, I feel like here we are, but in a minute, I do want to pray. I want to pray that God would unleash the song of the Lord. I want to pray that we would get an understanding of what's going on. Because the creativity is about to hit. The song of the Lord is about to come, and we have to know what it is. I remember years ago, um, we, were, we had this gathering of young adults, a worship and prayer event, and uh, we didn't have anywhere to do the gathering. And I have a dream one night from the Lord that we're doing the gathering in a massive tent, and I knew the name of the guy that owned the tent, but I'd never met him before. Okay, so I dream we're doing it in a big circus tent, and I, I've heard of the guy that owns it, but I've never met him. Well, that guy calls me about two weeks later. It's the craziest thing ever. He's like, hey, I know you don't know me, but the Lord told me to call you. We're supposed to do something together. What is it? And I'm like, I dream that we were using your tent. He goes, I'm in brings a 3,000-person circus tent up to Virginia. We gather a couple thousand young people and worship for three days. We did it twice with the same tent. Second time we did it, there's this older man there. He's like a prophetic guy that God has used in his 80s. And he calls us into this side tent. We're over this, in this side tent, and he goes, he goes I, the Lord showed me something for you guys. He goes, you're going to be part of a tent movement he goes, the youth of America are going to gather. It's going to be Porter Johns and hot dog stands beyond your wildest imagination. And he said, it's like a Holy Spirit Woodstock. He said, he said it's going to be a new Jesus movement in the next generation. And I'm listening to this guy like, what are you talking about? And the thing that got my attention is all of a sudden we're weeping and just sobbing in the presence of God. I'm like, I have no idea what this 86-year-old man is talking about. A Holy Spirit Woodstock? What is a Holy Spirit Woodstock? That's a weird phrase. Woodstock wasn't very Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? But what he meant was that what that was the counterfeit of it's about to come. Are you ready for the Jesus Coachella? Like, I'm not just talking about a bunch of performers. I'm talking something that transcends performance. Performance is whatever. I'm not talking about performance. I'm talking about a new, I'm talking about the Isaiah 42 song. It's going to hit a generation. The halal of God is going to hit a generation in response to God's beauty. I forgot the second part of the dream. He said the halal of God's going to hit a generation, but he said the Lord says it's by the revelation of the burning one. That's God. 
the revelation of God's heart is going to unlock a generation. And we're going to sing, and it's going to be songs of deliverance. Just like David played his harp and the demon left, deliverance is going to break out on Virginia Tech campus when you lift your voice. And it's going to fill even public places. It's going to be joined to prayer and intercession, worship and intercession, just back and forth. It's one flows into the other, right? And we're going to see God's kingdom begin to manifest. I just, I wonder what that, what does that look like? You know, it, a couple of years later, we were on the National Mall. I told you yesterday, the 58 tents, that guy's word happened. It's still been happening, but 1,700 worship teams showed up on their own dime. You know what happened during that? We have video footage of top government officials in the United States government encountering Jesus, weeping, getting saved, and washing each other's feet while 1,700 worship teams were standing in the city lifting their voices. We had police officers come to us and say, we have no explanation. There's usually crime in this area, and there's no crime. We have no explanation for that. We have one young girl that's a friend of mine, now is a friend of mine, who was standing in... Um, the, uh, was standing in the worship with scars all over her body from self-harm, all over her arms and legs where she cut herself. She's got her hands up, and she's worshiping Jesus. She feels like this heat all over her body, and she goes and uses the restroom later and realizes that while she was worshiping Jesus, he took every scar off her body from self-harm. Took, literally took her shame away. What I'm telling you is what Paul and Silas experienced in Acts 16 in that little prison cell. It's not just a little historical event, you know, that we can hear the, the Bible story. These things, are, these things are prototypes. These things are invitations. These things are recognizing the values that Jesus operates in. Paul understood it. He understood it so much that when he started planting churches, he said, hey, guys, you got to do this. You got to speak to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spirits. You got to do it. I've seen it. It works. So I, I want to pray for you guys that God will, that God will unlock something tonight. This actually wasn't where I was originally going to go tonight. But the whole time during worship, I just kept feeling like, God wants to release the song of the Lord in this place. God wants to unlock, like give us a faith for where it's going. Is it, is it, do you guys, um, is anybody on the screens? Is, he there? Uh, is it okay if I never, ever do this? Is it okay if I sing a song, teach you guys a song? Is that a little weird? I want to um, I want to I want to sing this song and because and while we're singing it, I I want to encourage you, you know, when you begin to halal God, praise God, something unlocks in your soul. It's not just about what your body's doing. It's about it's more than that. Something unlocks in your heart. There's a, there's actually freedom. When you set your eyes on Jesus and begin to engage him. So I, I want to pray tonight. <laughs> the alarm. I want to pray tonight for God to unlock something. 
in Virginia Tech. I want to pray that you get a confidence. Maybe what I taught tonight is like, maybe you knew it. But I just think God wants to unlock a faith. Maybe we can start to dream about what is that, that word, that Isaiah 42 thing? What is that Holy Spirit Woodstock? What does that look like on my campus? What if, what if heaven came down? You know, we use phrases like open heavens or whatever. You sing them in songs. Open up the floodgates of heaven. What is, what's that even mean? Have you ever thought about what that phrase even means? It means the things that are going on there are coming here. It means God's presence is being poured out and manifested in real geographic areas with real people, with real issues. It's real. It's substantive. I don't know. I think I'm taking a risk to sing a song. You guys, I don't usually do this. You guys think I should do that after talking about singing for like all this, like an hour? Unlock their song, not mine. All right, I'm going to do it. I was a music major. Lord, I just ask you to unlock Virginia Tech tonight. Come on, let's just ask him right now. The Isaiah 42 song, the government of heaven. Those elders in Revelation 5 have harps in their hands in the throne room. But we're not asking just for noise. Let it come, Lord. Jesus.
of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The Bible says that we're transformed when we gaze with an unveiled face into the very same image of the one that we behold. How many of you know worship is beholding?
to the Ignite Sessions podcast. To learn more about Virginia Tech Chi Alpha, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it using the hashtag TheIgniteSessions. We'll see you next time.